We're going to be in Matthew 5 again this evening. Matthew chapter 5 as we get back into our study on the Sermon on the Mount. These words of Jesus as he was giving instruction to his disciples primarily of what it really means to be a disciple of Christ. And we see in these chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, uh, really some of the core teachings of Jesus and his ministry. And really what we've been looking at to this point is just the fact that uh, Jesus took so much of the Old Testament law and really brought it to life in the sense that he revealed that the law was never really about just the outward appearances, but the heart of the matter. And many of the things that Jesus said uh, during this message and this preaching may be very familiar to us, and uh, we would even be accustomed to, to these truths, but they would have been considered in his day, many of these things, to be radical, uh, to be controversial, and I don't know if you realize this, but much of what Jesus did and taught in his ministry was extremely controversial. And it was the reason that he was so hated uh, by the religious leaders of the day. He changed the status quo. And, uh, and so we've been kind of walking through this. We put a, put a hold on that or kind of hit the pause button uh, throughout the month of October with Missions Month and all of that going on. But we're going to pick it up again tonight beginning uh, uh, down in verse number 31. Now, uh, <clears throat> I will admit to you that there are some subjects that I don't particularly enjoy preaching on. And primarily, it's not because I'm afraid to do it, but I don't like to cause offense. I don't like to stir the pot if I can help it. But as we seek to preach the whole counsel of God and preach uh, the word of God for what it says, we're going to at times broach issues that are somewhat controversial and cause maybe even some division among people. And that's not my intention tonight, but I do want to look at uh, what Jesus said here about specifically the issue of divorce and remarriage. I know that's not necessarily something that we just preach an entire message on, uh, but this is what Jesus talked about. So here we are in Matthew chapter 5. Let's stand together one more time as we read, beginning in verse 31. Jesus says here, It hath been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you, that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. So we're going to look tonight at Jesus' mind on marriage, divorce, and remarriage. All right, let's have a word of prayer. Father, as we look into your word for these next few moments, I pray that you would guide my mind and my mouth uh, to speak truth, the truth of your word, uh, Lord, what is needed tonight is not man's opinion, uh, but it is the word of God. I pray that you would help us to gain understanding from your word tonight, understanding of your perspective. And those of us who are married, may we seek to, to have a marriage and live that out in a way that is pleasing to you. Those who are not married here yet, but aspire to be someday, I pray that you would give them understanding of what they need to, how they need to prepare for that phase of life. And Lord, for those who may be even in our midst, 
that uh, have been through a marriage and a divorce, I pray uh, that tonight you would uh, reveal to them and show to them uh, your plan and purpose in their lives. And uh, Father, may we just submit ourselves to the authority of your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Well, as I said, a lot of things that Jesus said in these chapters would have been considered controversial in his day. Many of those things would no longer be controversial to us, especially living in a society that has honored the word of God uh, over the years. We've, we've become accustomed to many of the truths that Jesus taught. But this particular subject is one that remains very controversial. Uh, there is so much debate and division uh, over issues of marriage and divorce and remarriage. Is it ever acceptable? Uh, what does God say about that? Even within churches. I know uh, churches that, that if I told you the names or some of the people, you would know that those churches. Uh, one in particular that you would know very well, uh, if a member of their church is divorced and they remarry someone else, they will actually place them under church discipline for that. Uh, not very far down the road, a church that they fellowship closely with, uh, the pastor over there will actually perform the ceremonies uh, for second marriages. There, so there, there is actually a lot of, uh, I guess, disagreement or confusion when it comes to uh, the issue of divorce and remarriage. What does God say about it? And then, of course, as we look into our world out there, sadly, there has been such an attack on marriage and the home and the family that there's so much confusion, the world doesn't even really know what marriage is anymore. And we find, for instance, this huge debate over same-sex marriage. That's an oxymoron. You can't have that because marriage is, by definition, a union of a man and a woman. You can't have, uh, you know, it, it just doesn't fit. It doesn't work. Why is there so much confusion? Well, ultimately... Because we have abandoned the word of God and what God says and we have inserted our own opinion. And, and again, this is true not only in the world but even in churches. We, we have said, well, I know the Bible says this. However, uh, you don't know my situation or I know a really good, godly person who, and fill in the blank, whatever it is. And I'm just, I'm not trying to argue that uh, there are godly people on different sides of these issues. But the reality is, it doesn't matter what your experience or my experience is. It doesn't matter what other people say or think. All that matters is what God says. And so tonight, we're going to just look into the word of God. And we're not going to do a real in-depth study on this issue. We don't have the time to cover all of that tonight. But we're going to look at some guiding principles as we try to get God's mind, Jesus' mind, on marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Okay. So right here in the middle of his, uh, I guess, monologue on uh, discipleship, he brings up this issue of divorce. And he says in verse 31, it hath been said... Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. In other words, within your particular society and culture, 
it has become customary and acceptable for a, for a, a person, particularly a man, who decides that he's unhappy in his marriage to simply divorce his wife. That's become a common practice. However, verse 32, but I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. Wow, those are some pretty severe words, aren't they? And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced committeth adultery. Okay, so here's the, the basic principle of that. In your society, it has become customary for marriages not to last. However, God views this as sin. That's, that's the basic underlying tone of what Jesus is saying here. Now let's look into this a little bit further. Hold your place here, but go with me forward in the book of Matthew to chapter number 19. Because Jesus is asked specifically about marriage and divorce and remarriage by the Pharisees in Matthew 19. Why do you think that was? Could it be because of what he said in Matthew chapter 5 had become a very uh, controversial point of contention and this was a sticking point that the Pharisees thought this is a good opportunity for us to trip him up. All right. Well, let's look at verse number 3 of Matthew 19. It says, The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? Now, that's an important question, because the, the argument between the Jews at this time was not whether all divorce is wrong, but rather... Uh, is it always acceptable to get divorced or only in certain circumstances? So now we're coming to Jesus to try and trip him up by throwing him into this controversy and making him answer this question. Is it lawful for a man to put, his put away his wife for every cause? If he just decides he doesn't want to be married someday, is it okay for him to put away his wife according to the law of Moses? That's an important statement too. Is it lawful? They're saying according to the law of Moses. Is this acceptable? Look at verse number four. And he answered and said unto them, have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and they twain or they two shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. They say unto him, why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? And he said unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery, and whoso marrieth her which is put away, doth commit adultery. So he reiterates the same thing there. But there are several things that Jesus says here that really give us some insight into the truth about God's mind on marriage. First of all, I want to show you that God is the designer of marriage 
And because he is the designer, he also has the exclusive right to be the definer. Because God is the one who invented the concept of marriage, he has the right to define what that is. Notice that he says, verse 4, And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? Verse 6, Wherefore they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. Who was it? Who came up with this genius idea of marriage? By the way, this is not the result of some higher stage of evolution that we have achieved where we're monogamous, that we pick one person to meet with for life. No, God actually is the one who created the institution of marriage and the home and the family. You don't see that in the animal kingdom. I don't care what comparison you want to try to make, but nature does not follow the, the pattern of one man, one woman for a lifetime raising their children together to the glory of God. That just doesn't happen in nature or in the animal kingdom. It happens among us as God's people created in his image. Why? Because he is the one that designed marriage. He, he designed the institution of marriage. Therefore, he has the exclusive right to define it. Also, it is important for us to see that Jesus said in uh, verse, number, <clears throat> verse number 8, he said, uh, he saith unto them, because Moses, or Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives. But listen to this. But from the beginning, it was not so. So in other words, if you really want to know what God thinks about marriage, you need to look no further than the very beginning. What was the example that he set? Well, he took a man and he created him in the image of God. And from that man, he formed a woman who the Bible says would be his help, meet for him, fitting for him. He created this woman for the man to be his helper in life. And the design and the intention was that there would be a lifelong bond between these two to where actually the statement, we read it several times in the scripture that we are, a husband and a wife are joined together and become one flesh. Verse 5, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain but one flesh. God's design for marriage was that two people, a man and a woman, would join together in a covenant union by which they would not they would no longer be two individuals living individual lives, but that they would be one. They are no more twain, but one flesh. Now, this is an area, I think, even in churches today, we really have a situation where many marriages are not reflecting that. You have people that are living two individual lives, while not necessarily one flesh. For instance, let me just give you an example. Um, the idea, this is my life over here. These are the things I enjoy. These are the things I like. These are the things that belong to me. And that's your life over there. Those are your friends. Those are your hobbies. And we, you know, just kind of 
get along with one another. We live in the same house. We go through life together as two individuals. And I just want you to know, that is not God's design. It's not God's plan. When I married my wife, part of our wedding vows, how many of you remember your wedding vows? All of them? Man, I, I don't remember all of them. But one of the things I remember, um, there are a couple of phrases that I remember. Uh, one was, when I took vows to my wife, one of the words that I, or phrases I repeated was, forsaking all others. And I remember as I was repeating those words, in my mind, there was this flash, like this, this light bulb came on. Up to that point, I had had friends that were other, you know, single young ladies, that they were literally just friends. But if I was really going to fulfill my commitment to my wife, I could no longer have these friendships. I, I, I needed to forsake all others, Right? I'm not saying that I couldn't be friendly or, you know, whatever. But I, have, I don't have female friends apart from my wife and I might have a couple that we spend time together with. But I do not have female friends I spend time with apart from my wife. Why? Because when I took vows to her, I was forsaking all others and giving myself to her alone. But another phrase that I remember from those vows is this, and this is kind of an old set of wedding vows. Unto thee do I commit all my worldly goods. You know what that means? When we got married, and I'm probably going to upset some people here. When we got married, there was never even a discussion. There was never a discussion ever that I can remember with, with my wife before or after we got married of what we were going to do. Uh, about our finances. We, we both knew and understood. Uh, we, we're getting married. Our, our separate accounts become joint accounts. That's what we do. We combine our money. Why? Because we are not two individuals living as roommates in the same house. We are one flesh. This is not my life and your life anymore. It's our life together. We are joined together as one. We have forsaken all others... And we are committing ourselves to one another alone. Now, this is, this is the way that it's supposed to work. I'm not going to tell you exactly how that has to play itself out in your life. But I will tell you this. You need to make sure that your life with your spouse is yours together. It's not in, two individuals living life uh, alongside of each other. Okay, But this, was, this is what God said. There are no more twain. They are one flesh. And God is the one who joined them together. That when a marriage takes place, it is God joining those two lives into one. Therefore, man does not have a right to separate that. I want to say that again. I do not have a right to divorce my wife. I have a legal right. I can do that. But in God's eyes, I don't have a right to do that. Why? Because we are one flesh. What God has joined together, let not man put asunder. It's quiet in here tonight. Listen, I don't have a right to do that. I remember one of the, one of the things that um, the, the, uh, the pastor who married us was actually my wife's grandfather. One of the things that he told us in our marriage counseling is that... Uh, there was a word that had to totally leave our vocabulary when we got married. We had to commit that it would leave our vocabulary. The word divorce. 
And, and really, listen, we, we've had, in, early on in our marriage, we had some rocky times. There was never a time that either of us said, maybe we should just get a divorce. We, we would not, we, we committed to each other. We're not even, it's not an option. It's not an option, okay? We, are, we have joined ourselves together. This, really, God has joined us together. And according to Malachi chapter 2, God actually says he hates putting away. He hates divorce. Okay? Now, I understand that there are folks sitting in this room that have had some experiences that I may not have had. And we're going to get to something in a little bit that I hope will be an encouragement to you. I'm not trying to beat you up, I promise. I'm just trying to show you what God says here, okay? God created marriage, therefore he defines marriage. He defined it as one man and one woman living together as one flesh till death do them part. Okay, that is God's plan for marriage. Now... Let me say this also. Let's go over to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. And I want to show you that marriage is important not only because God is the one who designed it and defines it, but marriage is important because of what it pictures. Marriage is important because of what it pictures. Look at uh, Ephesians 5, verses 22 through 31 or 32. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Then look at verse 32. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. What is Ephesians 5 all about? Ephesians 5 verses 22 through uh, 30 really or 29 is often used as instruction for how a husband should treat his wife and how a wife should treat her husband. And it certainly is that. It does tell us. I mean, it's commanded, right? Wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands, and husbands, love your wives. We see that there very clearly. However, the primary point of this is that marriage is important because it has an illustrative effect. Marriage is a, an earthly picture of the relationship between Christ and his church. And because God has designed marriage for that purpose, that it is, uh, it is to, to, to illustrate, uh, it, it's an earthly illustration of eternal truth. We could put it that way. Because of that, it's very important. Now, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. <laughs> you know what I mean by that? Here we are 
a bunch of sinners that get together. And as with anything, when you put people, sinful people, uh, in, a, in a situation where they're joined together, there are bound to be problems. There is really no such thing as, let's just use an example, uh, as a church that is totally problem-free. Unless it is people-free, right? You put people in a church, you're going to have problems. And that's me included. We are sinful people, we're flawed people. And so there are going to be tensions, there are going to be things that we've got to work through. And the same is true in a marriage. There is no such thing as a perfect marriage because there is no such thing as perfect people. And so while we can have good marriages and even great marriages, there is no such thing as a perfect marriage. And so here we are trying to illustrate to the world the relationship between Christ and his church. Meanwhile, we have flaws, and that can be a struggle. But to those of you out there who are married, can I just say to you that you ought to value that marriage because God has given it to you as a gift and as an opportunity to show the world what a relationship is supposed to look like, what the relationship of Christ to his church looks like. And so it's an important thing. It is an important issue. It is to be a bond that lasts forever. Okay, that's God's plan. It's God's design in marriage. However, let me also say this. Because, because God knows that people are imperfect sinners, God is also merciful and gracious to us even when our marriages don't work out the way that he intended. All right? Let me, let me say that again. Because God knows that we are sinners, he is merciful and gracious to us even when our marriages don't work out like he intended. And I want to show you this example as we go back to Matthew chapter 5. And this is the reason I had you hold your place here. Because uh, I want you to notice that God actually makes an allowance here for divorce. Now, again, I showed you that God hates divorce. He uh, has some pretty actually harsh things to say uh, about divorce and especially remarriage uh, after divorce because it's a, it's a commitment, it's an oath, a vow that has been broken. It's a bond that God put together that man is putting apart. But I want you to notice in verse 32 that he says, But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, notice these words, saving for the cause of fornication. And then he goes on and says, and be married to another, and so on and so forth. Why did he say that? Well, because there is a reality that sometimes, sometimes, marriages that should work don't. There, there is a situation, and, and I've counseled people through this, where one person in the marriage refuses to be faithful to that marriage. I counseled a couple several years back without going into detail. Uh, the husband was willfully unfaithful to his wife. When she found out about it, not only was there no repentance or remorse, but there was an arrogance where he basically said, 
I don't care what you say, and I don't care what God says, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. It had become so extreme that for her own safety and for the children's safety, uh, I actually advised her to separate from him physically uh, because of his abandonment of their marriage vows. There are instances in which God allows for, please understand, that does not mean that it is his perfect will, but in which God allows for divorce because of the sin of man. And this is important for us to, to really consider because we are imperfect people. And in 1 Corinthians 7, for instance, uh, there's a statement, if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. If, if two people are lost and they're married and one of them gets saved and the other says, you know, I, 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 I didn't sign on for all this Jesus stuff. I'm out of here. The Bible says that, that a brother or sister is not under obligation. They're, they're not under the law. They're not bound by the law in that case. There are situations in which God allows for and, and under, is understanding, if I can put it that way, uh, when things don't work out. However, that does not mean, that does not mean that it is ever God's will or desire for a marriage to fall apart. Why? Because God designed marriage with that in mind, that it would be for life. Two people joined together into one. And to those of you who are here and sit here today having been divorced and remarried, I want to say to you, first of all, divorce is not an unforgivable sin, okay? Uh, God is merciful and gracious. Secondly, let me say to others, I guarantee that anyone in this room who has been through a divorce would be honest and admit that it wasn't without leaving some scars, that it wasn't what was best, it wasn't what God designed. And so even though there are exceptions and there are situations in which God says it is acceptable, it is permissible, it's not God's plan. Why? Because he created marriage to last for a lifetime. Two people joined together into one life that they would live together for the glory of God. And so what is, what, why do I say all of these things? Well, first of all, let, let's go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, if you would tonight. 1 Corinthians 7 and... Let's look at uh, let's let's begin in verse number seven. He says, "For I would that all men, this is Paul, all men were even as I myself." He's talking about his status as a single man. He says, "But every man hath his proper gift, one after this manner, and one after and another after that." I say, therefore, to the unmarried. And widows, it is good for them if they abide, even as I, if they remain unmarried. But if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. That has to do with burning in our lust toward others. And unto the married I command, yet not I but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband. 
But and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And let not the husband put away his wife. But to the rest speak I, not the Lord. If a brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. And the woman which hath an husband that believeth not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. But if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God hath called us to peace. Notice that he says it, it is acceptable in certain situations if an unbelieving spouse leaves to let them depart and you're not under bondage. But I want you to notice also that he's admonishing them, hey, maybe you should consider remaining unmarried. Why? Because you can give yourself more fully to the things of the Lord and to, uh, to serving the Lord. Notice uh, verse number 29. It says, But this I say, brethren, the time is short. It remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they had none, and they that weep as though they wept not, and they that rejoice as though they rejoice not, and they that buy as though they possess not, and they that use this world as not abusing it, for the fashion of this world passeth away. But I would have you without carefulness. He that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he that is married careth for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. What is the, the idea here? The idea is, it is best for you in whatever state you find yourself in to remain in that place. If you find yourself tonight married, you know what the best thing is for you? Stay married. Find a way, even if you're struggling, find a way to make it work. Get some help, get some counseling, stay married, stay faithful. If you are loosed, if you've been divorced, if you've uh, perhaps lost a spouse, uh, you should consider just staying unmarried so that you can give yourself wholly to serving the Lord. What is the point in all of this? Listen, wherever you are, God can use you. God can use you. And I've known people that say, boy, you know, I... I've been through this. I had a situation. I, 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 a marriage fell apart and it left some scars and we ended up divorced or I ended up remarried. Uh, I guess that means that I'm sidelined. God can't use me. No, friend, God can still use you. Wherever you are, God can use you. There, there is no such thing as an unforgivable unfor sin with God. And even though we as sinful people mess things up, and whether it was you or a spouse or whatever, we, we mess things up, okay? But God is merciful and gracious and still desires to continue to use us. So all of this simply to say, a couple of things. To the married, pray for your marriage. Work at your marriage. You are not immune. I personally have known people that have been married almost 40 years and ended up divorced. There is no point in which we become uh, immune to or we are out of the woods and we can say, ah, oh, that'll never happen. No, if you've been married for 60 years, you need to continually be working on your marriage and praying for it, for the glory of God. Work for it. To those of you who aren't married but plan to get married someday, you ought to be praying 
uh, for the Lord's will and guidance and help. I can't tell you how, how uh, tragic it is when someone marries the wrong person and how difficult that can be in life. God wants better for you than that. You need to follow his will. Be praying for that. And if you're here tonight and you've been divorced, maybe you're remarried, maybe you're not, I just want to remind you, God still loves you. God can still use you, and he wants to use you. And so none of the things that have been said here tonight are in any way intended to cause offense or hurt feelings, but rather to explain what does God really say about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. God is serious about the issue of marriage. We ought to take it seriously. Those of us who have taken vows to our spouse, we understand before God and witnesses, we made a commitment, and we need to stay true to that. And young people, maybe you're here and you've never been married, you need to take it seriously. It's a big deal. And those of you who've been through it, you've been married, and that marriage has fallen apart, I just want you to know God loves you, and we love you, and God can still use you, and you're not a second-class citizen because of that. Okay, but just remember that God takes this seriously.